Hello, welcome to Dying to Talk. I'm Buddy Feneff, a fourth generation funeral director in New Hampshire and the owner of Feneff Funeral Homes and Crematorium and the founder of the Cremation Society of New Hampshire. My co-hosts today are Mandy Damaris and Madison Smith, both longtime funeral directors with our firm. Hello, I'm Mandy. Thanks for joining us on Dying to Talk. Hi, I'm Madison. We're excited to discuss some frequently asked questions about the funeral industry. Dying to Talk is a lighthearted and upbeat discussion of those topics no one really wants to talk about. Each episode, we will choose a subject that is related to funeral service, the cremation process, or death and dying. Today, we have um, Father Richard Dion, and Father Richard is obviously a Catholic priest. He is pastor of St. Anthony Church here in Manchester, and Father Dion is going to talk to us about the Catholic funeral rite. Um, I think one of the things that's come across is it's not not your grandfather's funeral anymore in terms of, you know, the Catholic Church and some of the things that they've changed over the years and, and some of the options people have now with burial and with cremation that I think a lot of people aren't aren't aware of. I mean, we know firsthand a lot of people call us and they'll talk about, oh, I want to have this at church, but I don't think I can, or does the church allow this? I mean, they're, they're going back you know, 20 and 30 years when, you know, the Catholic Church had had different perspectives on burials and cremation and options. So Father Dion, who's done many services here for us, is going gonna, is gonna to enlighten us a little bit and, and educate us in terms of the Church's perspective on different things and maybe what may be changing down, down the road. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, interested and excited to hear him talk about how the church is going, you know, is learning to adapt to new practices, um, you know, and while still keeping such a deeply, deeply traditional funeral, right? Um, you know, the integrity of that funeral, right? Um, so I'm excited to see what he has to say. And also, you know, maybe what they're steadfastly refusing to adapt to things that, they, you know, trends that they've heard about that they're just saying, uh, no way, we're not doing this. So, right. Uh, Father Richard, welcome. Good morning. Good morning, buddy. Thank Good you afternoon. For joining us. Thanks. So, um, as we um, the intro, we we really talked about it. You know, it's it's not your grandfather's funeral mass anymore. I mean, there's been a lot of changes over the last thirty, forty, fifty years with respect to the um, to the Catholic Catholic funeral rite, and um, hopefully, we're going to be able to address a lot of those a lot of those questions this morning. So. What are some of the major changes, just to sort of recap, you know, some of the major things about cremation and where you can celebrate a, a mass? Have there been any, you know, major changes over the last 20 or 30 years? I think there's a little bit of confusion, it has been, with the people concerning cremations. Mm -hmm. I think the church has frowned upon cremation for a long time, basically because there was no real way to, cre uh, to create cremains properly. Um, therefore, the church has frowned upon it, but with recent inventions and the way things are done today, the church has relaxed and actually has changed its policy. Also, uh, it is very well understood that some, at times people vacation or they have summer homes in different states or different parts of the world or country, and some loved one dies and they need to bring them home. And the cost of shipping a a body versus uh, cremains is, you know, significantly. Yes, yeah, they're very expensive. Yep. So therefore, the church has realized all these these types of things and has changed its policy, if that's the right language, concerning cremains. And so cremains are now very welcomed in the church, like the body would be. So they've they've been able to accommodate based on 
practical needs. demographics yeah, and needs. And sure. Yeah, that's definitely still my number one question I get surrounding cremation is, is, is the Catholic Church okay with it? Absolutely. There is absolutely no problem. You heard it here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's, it's, it's still the case that all, all, um, all being said, the Catholic Church would still prefer the casket, it could be a rental casket, to come to the church before the cremation takes place, and keeping in mind financial considerations and other things. Is that, That's right. is that, still, is that still the case? The church tries to provide, ecclesiae suplex is the, uh, is the official language. The church provides, and at times the church answers things in very practical ways. The norm would be that the body would come first, but its practical application is very complicated, very expensive. And for pastoral needs, the church recognizes that at times the uh, cremains will come in uh, rather than the body, and mm -hmm. that's uh, totally acceptable. That's fine. Yeah. So how about celebrating a, a funeral mass? Because one of the questions that we get all the time is, you know what, my dad was Catholic, but we haven't been to church for a long time. Can we have a quote unquote mass in the funeral home? And of course, we're not necessarily, you know, we're not the church, but we're hopefully educated enough and knowledgeable enough to, to guide the family and say, well, you, you, know, you can't have a mass in the funeral home. We certainly can have a, a priest or other clergy, depending on what their denomination is, and do a, you know, a funeral service or a memorial service for some prayers here. So can you talk a little bit about, because people ask us, why can't we have a mass at the, in the funeral home or at the cemetery? And I said, because that's what the church says. Okay. <laughs> well, I think that to understand why we don't have a mass in the funeral home, basically, uh, basically offers the opportunity to, to reflect why do we do what we do. A person has a spiritual home. Obviously, that would be the particular church where they worship. When a person dies, we bring them home, and that is the church building where the community worships. Um, at times, we we recognize there are places in the world that there are no church buildings available. And for pastoral need and pastoral application, then we would say a mass at a, at a, at a funeral home or outside or anywhere um, in respect for the repose of the soul of a particular person. But the norm is and is strongly held that a person will go to the church if the church buildings are available, and they are. So really no different than any other sacraments if you're getting Absolutely. married or you're getting confirmed or you're getting baptized and I'm running out of my memory of all the different sacraments, uh -huh. but um, they're all done at in, in the church. Exactly. Okay. It might be nice to get married on top of a mountain or in a hot air balloon or in a canoe. And those, <laughs> those, those romanticized... A very small wedding. They're very small weddings. <laughs> and many people have distinct needs or wants. However, when it comes to the, to the church... The church is the community of believers that gathers before the presence of Almighty God. And so we come to the church as, it's, as a home, a spiritual home, in which the family gathers and celebrates the repose of the soul. Thank you. So, Didn't know that. Yeah, no, I did not either. Um, when you think of a traditional Catholic funeral, you think of the wake, the church, the cemetery, um, all in a casket. Now, obviously there are different variations of that, but how does the Catholic Church feel about different types of final disposition, burial at sea, um, donation, body donation to science. What is, does the church sure. have, have a view on that? Of course. Uh, I, I, there is no problem donating someone, you know, one's body to, to science in, what, in any shape or form. Also, I think when we, you talk about the wake and you talk about the, the cemetery prayers and the, the mass, 
if you'll notice for the for for us as Catholics, the ritual actually begins with a wake service. And if you if people notice the the rituals in themselves, the sign of the cross is first done at a wake service. And for us, that always basically begins the opening of any sacrament or any prayer. And if you notice, there is no sign of the cross done again until we get to the cemetery and we bless the people for the final dismissal. The wake, the church, and the cemetery really are, is one service. We sometimes think there are three distinct um, rituals, but they're not. They're, it's one. They're all tied together. They're all tied together. Mm -hmm. um, whereas we celebrate again the, the repose of the soul. In terms of internment, the only other place on earth that is considered holy ground other than a church building is going to be the cemetery. The land becomes holy because the remains of the people are there. And in, through their baptism, they are in, and made in the image and likeness of God. The cemetery is holy ground. Um, thus, we really encourage all people to be buried in holy ground. It doesn't have to be a Catholic cemetery. It does not have to cemetery. be a Catholic cemetery. Right. If, the, if a person is interred in a non-Catholic cemetery, then you will notice that the, the priest will usually have holy water, and he will bless the ground and make it holy. Hmm. Many people get confused when they see in one cemetery a priest ho use holy water, and another cemetery priests not use holy water. I have actually been confused yes. by that myself, wondering if the priest forgot the holy water at a Catholic <laughs> cemetery. <laughs> we and we don't need to bless the Catholic cemeteries now because by virtue, the entire land has been blessed when the cemetery was opened, and is usually blessed on All Souls Day as well if there is an outside mass that's being done there. Hmm. Well, as as we're seeing trends change towards cremation, we're also seeing a lot of people opt to separate the remains between siblings, the grandchildren, or scatter. What is the church's view on these practices? There's, again, we can't stop people from doing what they want to do, but the norm of the church is the teaching that we keep the cremains together. And that basically is for very practical reasons. If a person dies and they are cremated and someone says, well, I'd like to put a little bit of ashes in this particular setting or in a necklace or in any other venue, then what happens in 50 years or 75 years you know are these things discarded are they lost are they not do people not know what they are and then that becomes a disrespect to the person that has died whether it's 50 years ago or 10 years ago so the church encourages the remains to uh, the remains to be the integrity to be intact. Exactly, right? integrity okay. to be intact. Exactly, buddy. Now, we, um, we received an email from Francois from Belmont who asked, can a Catholic donate his body to science? Now, obviously, legally, anyone can donate their body to science, but what's, I, I think, Francois' question, what, what is the perspective of the Catholic Church on someone that wants to be a, not an organ donor, but actually donate their body to a, to a medical school? My understanding is that the Church has no problem with anyone donating their body for uh, for the advancement of the good therefore but they can't have a obviously the donation takes place shortly after the that's, person passes so they cannot you know have a mass with the body present have a way they would have a memorial the, mass have a memorial okay yeah they would have the memorial mass okay All right i get it 
This might be a trick question, going back to the scattering and burial. What? <laughs> it's not a gotcha moment. A lot of people have pets that they love more dearly than their own mm. blood relatives. Can they be buried with their, their pet's cremains that they may have at home? Again, the church can't stop people from putting anything in the casket that the family so chooses. Um, if, a, if, if a family wishes to have the remains of a pet put with a person, again, the church can't stop that. Mm. And, there's, and therefore, there is no issue. Again, the church, all the church teachings tries to keep the dignity of the deceased intact. It's, and it's very important to keep the dignity of a human being. And at times, things can get complicated. Or it can get, and again, all the church tries to do is suggest to the people, remember with, 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 with uh, dignity the person who has died. So again, we, we can't stop them from putting anything in the casket. Mm -hmm. They put baseball caps and oh, golf they put all kinds of in, in, contraband <laughs> in caskets. <laughs> Absolutely, and a schnauzer is not necessarily the worst thing I've ever seen placed in a in a casket. So, speaking of dignity, we had actually this happened a couple couple weeks ago. We had a service of a veteran, and the family um, wanted us to to drape in lieu of having the the pall um, on on top of the casket. They said can we drape the flag on it? And we said, no, we can't. We can have it draped at the funeral home. We can have it draped on the casket after the mass is completed, but during the mass, we need to put the, the baptismal pall on. So what, what's, what's the reasoning around? I mean, obviously, the, the, so you know, the church isn't you know, anti-American. It's nothing to no. do with separation of church and state, I don't think, but I'm sure there's some sort of ecumenical rationale behind that. Actually, the story of the pall is actually very unique. Number one, first, the church knows no boundary. So there is no f distinct uh, flag, so to speak, even the Vatican flag. Mm -hmm. There is no distinct flag that the church recognizes. The earth is God's creation. So there's no boundaries. But however, the Paul that you speak of is a very interesting story. About 2,000 years ago, in, uh, when a woman was pregnant, one of the most intense gifts that she would try to do for her about-to-be-born child was to create a white cloth, weave a white cloth that was very difficult for her. The, um, the floors were dirt, the roofs were thatched, the wells were deep, especially when pregnant. It was a lot of work. The rivers were muddy. To keep a white blanket white was very, very difficult, but she did the best she could. When she gave birth, the midwife the godmother, would help with delivery and take the newborn, wrap it in the white cloth, and quickly go to the house of the priests. The house, uh, at the house, the priest, the first thing he did was to check the blanket. If it was white, the priest would know it was one of ours. It's a Christian. If it had zigzags on it or orange circles, it probably belonged to a Merrimack or Nashua or some other religion or cult. <laughs> or whatever. But if the, uh, the blanket was white, it's one of ours. The priest would then do baptism, baptize the newborn, give it back to the midwife, the godmother, who would bring it back. Now, it gets very interesting because by law, the only item a woman was allowed to leave her home with and to enter into her husband's home was her baby blanket. And this time, it was on her head, and she would be at the portal of her parents' home the men in the community would gather outside in these small villages and they would trade the cows and the sheep and take care of the dowry. When it was done, 
the father would invite the his daughter to come out with her baby blanket on her head. The he baby would, blanket she received she when received. she was born. Exactly. He would lift it, and that was the marriage contract. Now, the blanket was put away again the best as possible one more time. And the first spouse to die, the blanket was taken out and placed over their face. Um, again, the symbol of being born into this world, the symbol of being reborn, so to speak, into marriage, and the symbol of being reborn into eternal life. So here we are 2,000 years later. The babies still come to church, so to speak, in white gowns and blankets. The brides still come down the aisle with the veil upon their head. And the casket comes into the church, and that baby blanket is placed over the face. It's the pall that covers the casket. It's the same symbol. So the baby blanket covers baptism, marriage, and obviously into life until uh, life eternal. I, I don't think most people know that. I had a little old lady from the <laughs> French West Side of the Manchester. We were talking about it. This goes back years ago, and she thought the Paul goes on. So you can't tell the difference between someone that buys a fancy, expensive casket and a very inexpensive <laughs> casket. <laughs> <laughs> covers all kinds of things. <laughs> but yeah, the symbol of our baptism in Christ. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting continuity in terms of a symbol. Are there perhaps people that are not able to have a funeral mass in church, whether it's someone who hasn't been to church in a while or perhaps suicide was involved? Are there people who are... Or if are, someone had committed a felony or mm -hmm. some sort of... Uh, the church receives all people. Even if they're not Catholic? Even if they're not Catholic. If a person is not Catholic, if a person has married a non-Catholic, the non-Catholic can come to church by virtue of their marriage. Um, very rarely, and I, I, I am not aware of any circumstance that a person cannot be brought into church uh, for a Catholic mass, uh, for a Catholic funeral mass. Um, suicide has, you know, was considered, has, has evolved in, its, in our understanding of it being a state of mind that a person may be, that it's not their particular fault. Or someone that was divorced, maybe. Yeah. I mean, this goes back decades exactly. and decades ago. So, yeah, Things yeah, have changed absolutely. quite a, quite a Every, bit. Yeah, yeah. We, but we, some people still remember, you know, their last experience of the funeral might have been 50 or 60 years ago, and, and that's what their thought process was, is that, oh, this, and we said, no, 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 that's, that's not how it is anymore. Like, right, exactly. Do you anticipate any um, major or, or minor changes coming down the pike in regard to the Catholic funeral and the um, right coming down the burial? Aisle. Uh, coming down the aisle. Very <laughs> funny. Clever. <laughs> I do believe that rituals, the rites, are consti consistently in flux, depending on particular cultures, depending on particular time and understanding. I think that the, the rites consistently and very slowly change or evolve. Um, I think, is there anything coming um, specifically? I have no idea. But I, I do believe the church is always open to what we say is the Holy Spirit. And at times the church needs to be pastoral in all its application. At times well, we review where it hasn't been or there, there seems to be confusion or ambiguity. And then for whatever reason, we try to uh, make sure that all needs are met. So is there anything coming down the pike? I'm not quite sure. I, I, I know from our perspective, I mean, we, you know, the, the, the funeral rite is the same, but there's always little very, I mean, back in the old nuances. days when you, know, you had the Irish Catholic going to the Irish Catholic Church and the French Catholic going to the French Catholic. I mean, there was little differences. Now we have a, you know, a, a fairly large 
Vietnamese Catholic community and when we go to the Vietnamese church, again, it's still the right of Christian burial, but you can see little nuances and different sort of cultural. It's still the, the same funeral rites. So I, I mean, to me, I see those are the sort of the change. We have a lot of different ethnic groups, some of which are Catholic, moving into the United States, moving into New Hampshire. There is slight tweaks, so to speak, of the... Of the and of those, the, the, the tweaks don't necessarily change the funeral rite. What they do is they nuance around it, um, reflecting particular ethnicities and particular uh, uh, So like traditions, addi- additions to... Uh, additions yeah. to yeah. the ritual, but the ritual is still very much intact mm-hmm. with a lot, of, you know, the, the Irish would be the bagpipe and the particular uh, trends of a particular ethnicity. Mm-hmm. So, Father, as a, as a fellow French Canadian, um, do you um, you go to Canada like I do? Do you do you see any um, in, in the church in Canada, whether it be the province of Quebec or the whole? Are there things that are happening in Canada that are different from the church's perspective? Because again, the reason I'm asking this is, you know, New Hampshire having a, a large French Catholic community. Sure. Um, you know, we've had people that said, oh, when I was at my grandmother's funeral in, in you know, Montreal back six months ago, they did this instead of this. So do you see any, any differences, really, or are there any, I should say? The differences that we could really speak of between the, the church, yeah, between the church <laughs> in Canada and the church, or, or in Quebec and the church in, in New Hampshire or the United States is exactly that. It's culture. Um, there are things that are, but again, the funeral rite in Canada is the same funeral rite as we have in the United States, whether or not a particular culture or, or geographic area uses incense and one does not and one does. Those, again, that does not um, impair the nuance. Yeah, exactly. It's just nuances. The, 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 the funeral rite is intact across the board. So when we go to church, there are so many beautiful pieces of music played on the organ and the vocalist. That they're, they're just wonderful. And there's quite a few popular funeral songs. Do you have a favorite piece of music that is a, a, a traditional funeral mass song? Well, going back to what Buddy said about the church in Canada, <laughs> because the French population is very high in New Hampshire, one of the, the, the hymns that was consistently uh, sung, or among many, uh, with the French was the, a particular called J'ai la voir un jour, I will go see her one day. And it has become, in many areas, the cry of the French. It's one of those little pieces of nostalgia that has uh, resurfaced itself. It's a hymn that goes back for, uh, you know, centuries, I believe. Um, And it has always seemingly been sung by those of French origin. And I do know that in New Hampshire, it's seemingly been resurrected again in many of our churches. That's the population, the French the Franco-American population is, is getting older, and we see this particular hymn resurface in many of our churches. And it, again, it speaks of, in a sense of spiritual nostalgia. I remember when they sang this at my grandmother's funeral. And it just reconnects so many of, these, of uh, the French-Canadian people, or Would the you- Franco-American, I should say. Would you mind gracing us with uh, a line or two of the hymn? <laughs> Unless we've run out of well, time. Yes, I, I do believe we've ran out of time. <laughs>
Thank you for joining us on another informative episode of Dying to Talk. I definitely learned a lot. If our listeners have any questions about funerals or cremations, either in New Hampshire or Vermont, I'm happy to answer them. Just email me at buddy at finef.net. That's buddy at P-H-A-N-E-U-F.net. Or call me on my direct line at 603-625-5778. Our contact information is in the show notes of this episode too.